Good morning, everyone. I add my own word of welcome to you all. So glad to see your smiley, happy faces on this Sunday morning. And I just look forward to preaching the word with you and worshiping with you uh, this morning. Uh, We've had a bit of a tough week at Grace Redeemer this week. Uh, We, Tony lost his mom and uh, we certainly grieve with Tony over that. But, uh, uh, you know, the hope that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why we come and worship. And that's why Tony's up here singing and playing the bass and worshiping with his whole heart because he knows where his mom is uh, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Scott McManus also lost his mom. Uh, We haven't seen Scott in a bit. I don't know if uh, you're watching, Scott, but if you are, uh, we are grieving and mourning for you also. And uh, yet we know where your mom is as well. And so we are just so grateful for the Savior that we have. And that's why we come here, uh, to gather together and praise him uh, every Sunday morning. So we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans this morning, uh, moving into uh, the middle part of chapter 15. And I'm calling this message God's Fire Starter. And we'll see what that means in a minute. Uh, Let's pray before we begin. Uh, Lord God, we do uh, come to you this morning, uh, Lord, with all of our pain. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for who you are uh, so that uh, we trust your promises. Lord, uh, when we face death, uh, death of loved ones, uh, Lord, when we face our own health crises, we know that you are in control and that you love us and that your promises are true and certain. And uh, Lord, even if it should end in death, uh, we know that it's just a gateway to you. And that's ultimately our goal, Lord. Uh, So we're just grateful for you. We're grateful for uh, who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. And now we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help us with the word this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, Molly and I uh, love to go camping. It's one of our favorite things to do, our favorite pastimes. Uh, And the best part of camping, for us anyway, is the campfire at night. Uh, We love the campfire. Uh, It's just so peaceful to stare at a fire underneath a a beautiful starry Texas sky. Uh, Molly is the fire starter in our family. Uh, I can certainly start a fire, but it takes two gallons of lighter fluid to do it. Uh, no, no blaze is big enough for me, so uh, I might set the whole forest on fire. So Molly takes care of the fire. She prefers to use a, a little fire stick and to put some paper and some twigs in there and, and just kind of let it grow up slowly uh, and spread to the other pieces of wood. And as those first logs turn to ash, she adds more logs to the fire, always creating little air pockets so that the fire has room to breathe and grow and spread quickly. Well, that's how we build fires. Uh, Paul built a totally different kind of fire. Paul was God's fire stick uh, that God used to start a fire. And for 10 years, uh, up until this point that he had written uh, Romans, he'd been traveling around the entire uh, region of the Mediterranean Sea in the Roman Empire, just lighting the fire of the gospel wherever he went. Over time, he planted churches here and he planted churches there, uh, and the gospel spread like a California wildfire in the summer, just uncontainable, a blaze that could not be stopped. And God directed Paul's path, and he used Paul uh, to be uh, his man, to start churches, and even to encourage the churches that he didn't start, like the church in Rome. Uh, Paul uh, wrote to the church in Rome, uh, didn't know them. They were strangers to him for the most part. So he wrote to them to explain uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and also uh, to start to solicit support for himself because he hoped that that church in Rome would send him on to Spain where he hoped to make more churches. 
So uh, we've been preaching through the gospel or uh, the, through the book uh, to the Romans now for about a year and a half. And uh, just last week, we finished what we would call the teaching section of Romans. Uh, all the way through, uh, Paul has been teaching. And now uh, what we have, starting with uh, chapter 15, verse 14, is kind of the beginning of a long conclusion to the book of Romans. And so it's a fitting time, I think, for us to review uh, what we've gone over so far in the book of Romans just briefly, because it will help us understand, uh, because Paul is going to summarize his ministry to the Gentiles in this section. So I think we ought to do the same to give us some context for the words that Paul is going to say uh, to these Romans in this passage. So Paul described God's mercies in the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans. And we know that chapters 1 through 3 are about our common sin problem. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. We are destined for hell and there's nothing that we can do in our own power to save ourselves. But in the second half of chapter 3 and through chapter 5, the heart of the gospel where Paul explains that, uh, yes, we are sinners, uh, but because of the grace of God, Jesus Christ, who is God, uh, became a man, uh, lived a perfect sinless life, died a sacrificial atoning death in our place, uh, rose from the the grave, uh, ascended into heaven, and we await his second coming. So if we believe in Jesus for our salvation, the great exchange is that he takes our sin record on himself and we get his uh, perfect spotless record on ourselves. And so that is the gospel. Now in chapters 6 to 8, uh, we talk about sanctification. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit, and this empowers us to become more Christ-like as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us uh, and helps us become more like Christ in our attitude and our decision-making. So we call this sanctification, and we learn this in chapter 8, and not only uh, that, but uh, God's uh, work from beginning to end in salvation is, uh, as he talks about, uh, the foreknowledge, the predestination, the calling, uh, the justification, and the glorification. All this is God's work. God elects all who are his, and all who are his will believe and be saved. And in chapters 9 to 11, the sovereignty of God. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people, uh, but for the time, God has set Israel aside because of their unbelief. Uh, In the meantime, uh, the Gentiles, you and I, are being saved, uh, and still God is not done with Israel. We believe that at a future time, uh, uh, in mass, the Israelites will come uh, to belief uh, because God is not done with Israel. God has a plan for his people. So these are the incredible mercies that we've seen in chapters 9 to 11 that God has given to us. So that's the first part, and it's mostly a doctrinal part. And in the second part uh, that we've been on for the last several weeks, more applicational. Uh, That's what uh, chapters 12 through 16 are. What should we do now in light of uh, God's incredible mercies that he's shown to us? Well, Paul's thesis statement for uh, this second section begins in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul talks about offering yourselves as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And we do this by not being conformed to the patterns of this world, but by being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is. So that's his thesis statement. And then throughout the rest of the next few chapters, he's telling us how to do it. Uh, Chapter 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. 
Use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. Be of the same mind toward another. Don't pay back evil for evil, but return evil for good. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Love your enemies. All of these things we see as uh, applications of offering yourselves as living sacrifices. Chapter 13, be subject to the government. Continuously pay your debt of love that you owe to one another. Uh, live as though you believe Jesus is going to come back today. Uh, chapter 14, we have liberty, uh, but be careful how we use it. Don't use it if it's going to hurt another brother or sister. Accept one another despite differences of opinion about non-salvation issues. And last week, chapter 15, the first half, follow Jesus' example by putting other believers first to achieve unity among God's people. And so that's the body of teaching of the letter. Now the beginning of the long conclusion, uh, which we could call part three. Uh, today we'll talk about Paul's past ministry. Next week we'll talk about Paul's plans. And then chapter 16 is greetings and salutations to the people that he did know in Rome. So, chapter, so verses 14 to 21 here today, Paul is recounting his past ministry as he's gone about talking about these glories, these mercies of God and what we ought to do in light of them. So Paul talks about his past ministry, but he's giving God the glory for everything that God has accomplished through Paul. Now, Paul had started many churches uh, throughout the empire, and, and he's written to many of them in, uh, in the Bible. We have most of the, or a lot of those letters. <clears throat> but Paul didn't start that church in, in Rome. Uh, the, the church in Rome was probably started from believers who came back from Pentecost in Jerusalem some 20 years ago and started the church there in Rome. Uh, so Paul didn't really know these Roman believers, but he sure did respect them. And that's what these, the, this first verse, in, uh, verse 14, is about, his respect for them. Because he, he wants to, he, he's been really heavy. This is a heavy, heavy letter, right? The book of Romans, it's, it's dense, it, it's theologically thick. Uh, and now Paul wants to make the letter more relational. He wants to talk to the Romans about uh, who they are and what his future plans are. And so his letter becomes more personal here, uh, beginning with complimenting their faith uh, and their growth. So let's look at verse 14, where Paul praises the Romans. And he says, concerning you, my brethren, I myself am, often, am, am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. Now, I don't think personally that, that Paul was flattering uh, these Romans uh, in the sense of it being fake or self-serving. Uh, one could argue that he was trying to butter up the Romans, right? Like he needs something from them. He wants them to send him on his way to Rome. So he's uh, concluding the letter nicely so that they'll give him money or pave the way so that he can go to Spain. Uh, you could argue that, but Paul... You know, if you read his letters, Paul was not one to mince words, was he? I mean, when, when he got into it with the Corinthian church, what did he have to say about them? He said, uh, you guys are fleshly, you're carnal, you're immoral, you're boastful. Now, he had no problem calling a spade a spade when he saw it, and so he did. Uh, and here, Paul is, uh, is complimenting the Romans because I think he really admired these Roman believers, he knew that they were much more likely to suffer immediate and more intense persecution uh, than believers elsewhere because they were practicing their faith right under Nero's nose, right? He, they were in Nero's backyard. And so uh, it takes a lot of courage. If you're not going to worship the emperor, if you're not going to worship Nero as a god, it's a lot uh, harder to do that in Rome than it is to do in some far outpost 
of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So Paul knew that their faith was real, and he knew that they were going to, if they hadn't already, going to suffer severe persecution under Nero, and that their faith was going to cost them everything in some cases, as Nero uh, tortured and killed so many of them. So Paul admired them, he respected them, and he complimented their goodness here. And the word that Paul chose for goodness is the word agathosune, uh, which means positive moral qualities shown by interest in the welfare of others. That's how he perceived these Roman Christians. They were full of goodness. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5. So it can mean goodness shown by generosity towards others. And, and Paul knew that they were generous. He knew that they were good. And he was counting on that goodness and generosity, as we'll see in the coming weeks, to get him to Spain. Paul also complimented their knowledge. Now, many scholars say uh, that the book of Romans is the most uh, uh, accurate and most complete theological treatise uh, ever written. And yet Paul compliments their knowledge by implying that they already know these things that Paul has written to them about. So that's a very high compliment. He said they were filled with all knowledge, which of course doesn't mean that they know everything there is to know. Nobody knows everything there is to know, but it does mean that they were well-versed enough to understand the Christian faith uh, and to pass that, that faith along to others and to defend their faith as necessary. And so they were filled with knowledge as well. And then that's why Paul's last compliment is that they're able to admonish, or uh, other translations say able to instruct <clears throat> The word means a little more than just instruct. Uh, instructing means to, to put some knowledge in somebody else's head, and this, this word certainly contains that uh, idea, but it also means to warn, to counsel, to mentor. And so it's more than just a straight teaching. It, it's, it's developing the entire person. And so that's what Paul was complimenting these Roman believers for. Now, the church has always needed teachers who can do this, who, who can teach others, who can uh, raise up and disciple other young believers, and to make disciples who can make disciples, right? That is how the church multiplies. We make disciples who can make other disciples. And so a good teacher can teach, but he can also counsel, warn, mentor, and disciple. And Paul complimented these Romans uh, by saying that they were competent to do that, and that's a very strong compliment. Uh, so... These Romans were not only knowers of the word and not only doers of the word, but they were teachers of the word and they were developing the younger believers. So remember, Rome is the center of debauchery and pagan idolatry. And these things are happening in the Roman church. The, the, the people are being built up and their faith is growing right in Nero's backyard. Uh, but these church leaders would have been under tremendous pressure to conform to the norms of society. Uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Romans called Christians cannibals for taking the Lord's Supper as though they were eating uh, the flesh of another human being. They, they didn't understand this, but they were practicing it in Rome. And it's a strong compliment from Paul that these Roman Christians did not bow down uh, to the culture, but they influenced the culture for good, even in that tough area that they were living, uh, with their goodness, with their knowledge, and their ability to teach. Now, applying this to our current day, of course, we need teachers who can teach in our day. We need people who can mentor, uh, who can warn, who can counsel, who can build others up in the Christian faith. Because as you all know, the church, uh, biblical morality, the uh, authority and authenticity of Scripture are all under attack these days. Ronald Reagan once said, uh, freedom 
is never more than one generation from extinction. And that's true of freedom. It's also true of any church who loses its, its uh, compass in terms of the truth, the inerrancy of scripture uh, and moral teaching. Uh, and so uh, churches need uh, leaders who can make disciples, who can make disciples. And fewer churches are able to do that these days because they've let go of the essentials of the Christian faith. And of course, the result is the church's effect on society has waned. And one role of the church is to influence, to affect society for good. And what has happened is that when we lose track of the things that are really important, we will no longer be able to influence the culture for good. Instead, we'll look just like the culture instead of being distinct from the culture. The church is like guardrails for a society. When churches water down the gospel or teach falsehood or, or allow uh, heresy into the church or conform to culture rather than influencing the culture, well, what happens is like it's a dark and winding road uh, on a mountainside cliff uh, without guardrails. And, and what will happen and what we are seeing happening before our very eyes is that society, that culture is going right over the cliff. And it's our job as the church to stop that from happening. And so we need to be uh, good, knowledgeable, and able to instruct like Paul complimented these Roman Christians for their ability to do. Well, if these things were true of the Roman church, why did he feel this need to write this letter to them? After all, it seems like they know what they need to know and they're behaving well. Why did Paul write this letter? Well, he explained that over the next several verses as he talked about his ministry to the Gentiles. <clears throat> and the first thing he talks about is his purpose in writing. And that's verse 15 and the first half of verse 16. I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So Paul says he wrote boldly on some points, uh, certainly not to offend them, but to encourage them and to remind them of some of these finer points of doctrine and to uh, remind them that God appointed Paul as, ministry, as a minister to the Gentiles, which of course would have included the Roman church. They were Gentiles by and large. Now, this was not authority that Paul sought, right? Paul would never want to be a minister to the Gentiles if he had given them the choice. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was taught under Gamaliel. He was rising above uh, in Judaism faster than his peers. Uh, as to the law, blameless. So he would not choose a ministry to the Gentiles. In fact, he went to the Jews first wherever he went. But God always pointed out to him that your ministry, Paul, is to the Gentiles. God chose him for this mission, and he gave him this authority. Now, one thing that we can say about Paul is that after his calling, he never doubted uh, what God had for him in his life, which, you know, that's a nice thing to, to, to never doubt your calling, right? Uh, do you all know for certain what your calling is? It's hard to know, right? We, we don't always know what God wants from us. Well, Paul spent a couple days blind, wondering what it was that uh, God had for him. Uh, but after that, God gave Paul a mission uh, to the Gentiles, even if, and thankfully for Paul, they left out all of the details so that Paul wouldn't have to fear all that was going to happen to him because he would have a hard mission. But throughout the, the journeys in Acts that are described uh, by Luke, God opened doors everywhere and Paul just walked through the doors as there was opportunity. Paul took the opportunity. He walked through the doors. And it was by God's grace that God repeatedly showed Paul that the Gentiles were his mission field. Now, apparently, Paul 
uh, as, as because Paul says to the Romans, uh, I tell this to you to remind you. Apparently, they already knew that, uh, but Paul reminded them of these things. Now, God uh, and his mission statement to us, uh, he's not necessarily going to speak to us as clearly as he spoke to Paul. But Jesus was clear that we are to go and we are to make disciples. So we don't really need to wonder about our, God's will for our lives. It's to go and it's to make disciples. That's the same mission for all Christians. And so uh, Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles, and he's going to describe that in these next couple of verses. Uh, picking up where we left off, ministering as a priest, as, I'm sorry, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So God had established the priesthood in the Old Testament. We remember that, uh, that a priest's role was to receive uh, the sacrifice, the offering of a repentant sinner and sacrifice it to God uh, to atone for their sin. This was a substitutionary sacrifice. The animal paid the price for the sin of the repentant sinner. And when the sacrifice was over, uh, the sinner was cleansed. Now, Paul drew on this priesthood language, uh, talking about his ministry to the Gentiles, and he used a word here that's used only this one time in the New Testament for the word priest. And what it means here is a sacrificing priest, or, or one who, who makes an offering, or one who offers a holy service to God. So Paul saw his ministry uh, to God to present the Gentiles uh, as his, Paul's, metaphorical offering to God. He's, he's going to offer the Gentiles to God by preaching the word to them uh, and making converts. And when these Gentiles received the word of God, <clears throat> they were deemed acceptable by God and they were cleansed and made holy by God. So that was Paul's ministry, but he's talking about this gospel of God. In other places, he calls it the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is this gospel of God that Paul preaches throughout the whole empire? Well, it's simple. It's that Jesus is God and that he came to live in a human body, to live a perfect life, to pay for our sins that we could not pay for ourselves, uh, and, 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 and to uh, therefore bring us to heaven if we have trusted in him. Now, in the Old Testament, God would not accept a blemished lamb, right? If you brought a, brought a blemished lamb to be sacrificed, God would not accept that sacrifice. It had to be a perfect lamb. And that's what Jesus was on our behalf. He was our perfect sacrifice that God required for sin. That's the gospel. Now, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And those who put their faith in him will be in heaven with him because they believe in him. Now, I've been here for about four years now, which means I've probably preached about you know, roughly 200 sermons or so here. And in every one of those sermons, I have said something like that to you. Jesus Christ has died for our sins and rose from the dead. Why do I keep doing that? Well, it's because this is the reason why we gather. I tell you this to remind you of the gospel. That is my job, to remind you of the good news. And I know you know it, and I know you believe it, or you wouldn't keep coming. But my job is to remind you. Why? Because life is hard. And, and you know, between any given Sunday, uh, to between, any, between any two given Sundays, hard things can happen to us in our lives. And so we need to be reminded of the grace of God. We need to be reminded uh, that, that God is good and that he's sovereign and that he loves us. And we need to be equipped so that we're prepared to go out and share uh, our faith with other people as well so we won't lose heart. And that's what Paul was doing with his Roman readers. He's reminding them so they would know 
the, the points of theology that he needed them to know, uh, to know that the purpose of his ministry was to minister to the Gentiles and that God had given him this authority. And Paul now understood that this was not his work. His whole mission was God's mission. Paul already talked extensively about foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. Uh, this is all God's work from beginning to end. Paul realizes that. And he's not about to take credit for somebody else's salvation. Salvation is God's work. His job is to spread the seed, to be God's fire starter. But God gets all the credit. And this from a man who had been traveling around the uh, known world, in his, his known world, for the past 10 years, enduring all kinds of hardships, uh, working harder than anybody else to make converts, and still he won't boast about himself. He'll only boast about what Jesus has done through him. So let's look at Paul's fruit through God's power. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. Well, what a ministry Paul had. He faced daunting obstacles. He led countless people uh, to Jesus. And you know, since Paul's day, there have been many great preachers, many great evangelists uh, who have brought millions to faith, more than likely. Uh, but even Billy Graham uh, can't even claim the influence that Paul had. Uh, I don't think it's too much to say that you and I might not be sitting here, Gentile uh, believers in Jesus Christ, if not for Paul's ministry. That's the effect that Paul had. And if anyone ever had reason to boast about his ministry, it was Paul. But instead of taking credit or boasting in anything he had done, Paul always deflected all glory and praise to Jesus Christ. If not for Jesus's power and his grace and the Holy Spirit's work in Paul's life, Paul would still be a Pharisee uh, arresting Christians and trying to bring them to justice uh, for what he deemed this heresy. Uh, Jesus is who turned Paul's life upside down. And uh, when he was an enemy of God, uh, Jesus turned him into his greatest ambassador. And whatever tools Paul already possessed, a, a strong intellect, a courageous spirit, tenacity, and compassion for the lost, well, God just took those tools, redirected them, and used them in another way, and em empowered Paul uh, to reach the Gentiles through signs and wonders uh, to help convert them. He did several signs and wonders, just to name a couple. He healed a paralytic at Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And he restored the young man Eutychus who uh, fell asleep in a third story window and fell down to his death. And Paul restored him back to life again uh, after uh, understanding that having had to listen to a long and boring sermon, uh, that could certainly happen. And so um, I'm glad that many of you are not sitting in open third story windows. Even now, uh, who knows what might happen. But the miracles that, that, that God did through Paul confirmed the truth of God's word to his audience. And they brought these Gentiles to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ. And none of this was Paul's doing. It was all God's doing. And Paul recognized that. His ministry was God working through Paul, using Paul as his fire stick. And Paul was humble enough to recognize it. And he knew that he was on God's mission and not his own mission. And it was God's power that would complete the work through Paul. Now, we could certainly learn a lot from Paul and his humility and his, his humble attitude towards his ministry. 
Uh, if you and I have any success in evangelism, well, we ought not take any credit for that because salvation is all God's work, not ours. In fact, if we have success in anything, that is God's work and not ours. It's because God gave us the tools that we needed and plowed the ground for us that we might have success in it. A God is sovereign. All good gifts come from him. There's nothing for us to brag about, and yet sometimes we get in front of somebody and all they can do is talk about themselves and their accomplishments and, and all that they have done. Uh, and, and it's, it's uh, boastful, pride, uh, prideful attitudes uh, in some people. And that's very unattractive, right? Nobody wants to be around people who can't stop talking about themselves. And so are those who fake humility, right? False humility people can see right through. Uh, and so truly humble people uh, will ooze God's grace and then we'll draw people to the love of Jesus Christ. Let us be known for humility, known for grace, giving God all the credit. And that's when we'll have the opportunity to speak into other people's lives. So Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And now let's take a minute to talk about Paul's ministry philosophy. Now this is the third section. So that from Jerusalem, roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. This word, for roundabout is the Greek word kuklo, where we get our word circle or circuit from. Uh, and so looking at this map, we can see uh, generally that Paul traveled in a circle or a circuit around the entire Mediterranean Sea area, starting in Jerusalem, heading for Antioch north and west uh, through Asia Minor, uh, up northwest into uh, Macedonia, then down south into Greece, back east through Ephesus and back home to Jerusalem and Antioch. Uh, that was his general route for his missionary journeys. Thousands of miles Paul crossed by land and by sea to uh, spread the gospel. Now, this reference to Illyricum, though, is somewhat puzzling. If you see it on the map there, up in the uh, top left, it's circled uh, quite far off the beaten path, as you can see. Uh, northwest of Macedonia, in an area that uh, was up until not too long ago called Yugoslavia. That's where, that's where it is. Now, Luke didn't record any trip to Illyricum uh, in Acts, and it's not recorded anywhere in the Bible for that matter. But if you look closely at the timeline of, of Paul's travels, there is time uh, where he could have gone up into Illyricum uh, during the second or third missionary journeys. And many scholars think that he did and for some reason just isn't included there in the book of Acts. Uh, so that's what we know about Illyricum. But Paul says in this entire circle, uh, this whole circuit of, of cities that he went to, uh, he fully preached the gospel. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that he preached the gospel to every single person in those regions, right? That's, that, that would be impossible to do. But it does mean that he faithfully proclaimed the gospel uh, to enough people in those regions that those people would be uh, the kindling that caught fire, that would spread the gospel throughout more people. And so Paul's strategy was to go to the major cities, talk to the leaders, start churches, and then let that uh, fire that he started spread uh, throughout the whole region. And once that gospel caught fire in a particular location, it would spread everywhere. And so Paul started that fire that spread throughout the whole world. Look at the size of that area that Paul covered in his life. And so his ministry philosophy is quite simple from reading these verses. It's travel widely, reach the lost, 
uh, open the eyes of the blind. Uh, well, travel widely, we can see easily enough, right? He traveled all around Asia and uh, uh, parts of Greece and, and even made it as far as Rome. And so he visited the entire region. He was always in danger or exhausted or sick, uh, but his passion to spread the gospel outweighed any personal discomfort or inconvenience or even uh, the, the, the need to preserve his life. Paul thought that spreading the gospel was more important than even his own life. For him to live was Christ and to die was gain. Now, he didn't want to build on another's foundation. This isn't a matter of pride for Paul, like I won't preach anywhere where anybody else has already preached. That, that's not what Paul meant by that. Uh, in fact, as we've, we've been studying this letter to the Romans, which was a church that he did not build. So certainly he was willing to minister, preach, encourage uh, those who he did not uh, initially bring to the gospel. But what this means is that it's his personal de desire to evangelize the lost. He wants to speak to people uh, who are lost. And uh, that's a noble goal. In fact, this is the goal of most missionaries uh, who are scattered around the world, reaching the unreached people groups where the name of Christ has not been named. Now, we at Grace Redeemer, we have that same mission. Now, I preach to you, the same 60, 70 people, however many show up on a given Sunday. I preach the gospel to you, but we're not content with that. We want the gospel to go around the entire world. And so that's why we support as many missionaries as we do. We now support 18 missionaries. Can you believe that? At this little church, we support 18 missionaries who are either taking the gospel around the world into unknown, uh, to unknown uh, parts where, where they're reaching unreached people groups for Christ, or we're supporting people who are uh, working behind the scenes to be sure that those missionaries out in the field are supported. And so that's our mission here too, just like Paul. Like Paul, we wanna see the gospel taken uh, to the entire earth so that we might witness for Christ where Christ has not yet been named. So Paul traveled widely, uh, he reached the lost and he wanted to open the eyes of the blind. Uh, Paul borrowed verse 21 uh, from Isaiah chapter 52. Now, uh, I'm, a, I'm a genius. I want you to know that. I'm going to tell you that chapter 52 comes right before chapter 53 in Isaiah, uh, which is, of course, the great suffering servant chapter uh, that we know so well in Isaiah 53. So what I want you to see is the verses that lead up to chapter 53, uh, which Paul borrowed from here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 and 15. And, and in this, we're going to see Jesus's mission, his mission fulfilled uh, in Paul, who, who took Jesus's mission and made it his own. And this is why Paul behaves as he does. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. King will, kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. So we see how Paul adopted Jesus's ministry philosophy. His, his life's goal was to proclaim Christ among the nations of those who are unevangelized. And Paul spent his entire Christian life on mission. Uh, through Acts, the book of Acts, uh, Luke tells us that Paul was a, a tent maker by trade. 
But really, what was Paul? I mean, he made tents to survive, but he was a full-time missionary. That's all he thought about was bringing people to Christ, which tells us that no matter what we do, no matter what our occupation, no matter what our vocation, we can live our lives on mission for Christ too. So how do we do it? Well, let's ask a few questions. The first is this, what is your life's purpose? Paul was never uh, unsure about his life's purpose once God got a hold of him. He spent every ounce of energy that he had making converts. Well, what about you? What is your life's purpose? What has God called you to do? Uh, for some of us, uh, we're not sure. But look, if, if God didn't have work for us to do, he would call us home, right? There's no reason for us to be here if he doesn't have work for us to do. He obviously has something for us to do. God gives us every day as a new opportunity to be productive for his kingdom to fulfill the mission. And we know what the Great Commission is. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So ask God for opportunities to fulfill the Great Commission in your life. Listen attentively for his answer. You have to, you have to actively ask and you have to listen to the answer. And one way that we ought to be thinking about what God wants to do in our lives and how God wants to use us is to ask this question. Who is your mission field? Paul's mission field was the unreached people groups of the world. Now, that's a, that's a very broad, very ambitious mission field, right? That's not for all of us. We don't have the time, money, energy, uh, anything to do what, what Paul did, to travel like he did. Uh, but you don't have to travel the world to have a mission field. Uh, who in your family still needs to hear the gospel? Where do you work? Where do you shop? Uh, where do you exercise? Who are your neighbors? Where do you go buy coffee? Where do you get your hair and nails done? This is your mission field. These are the people who God has put you in contact with. So ask him to give you opportunities to speak uh, to them during your daily life. And then how can you reach people more effectively? One thing about Paul is that he was certainly courageous, right? Nobody could ever doubt Paul's courage. But that doesn't mean he was never afraid, right? Paul was, I'm sure, afraid on many occasions, but he never let his fears stop him. He always charged forward in faith. Now, many of us may not look at the world as a mission field because there are so many reasons why we don't want to be on the front lines of evangelism. Uh, maybe we're afraid that people will reject us, or maybe we are afraid that we'll not be able to articulate the gospel well or defend our faith when somebody asks a question. What if we don't know the answer? These are all fears that are normal for us to have, but Paul didn't let those kinds of things stop him, and neither should we. So just pray before you speak to others about Jesus. Pray God that God will give you what you need to say when you need to say it. And remember that if they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They are rejecting God. Now, if you don't know how to talk to people about Jesus, if you're not confident about your ability to talk to Jesus, I've told you before, we're hosting this event on October 10th where we're going to have Larry Moyer come in, a uh, well-known evangelist. He's going to teach us uh, how to preach the gospel to the lost, very simple course about evangelism so that we will learn how to share our faith confidently. And I pray that every single one of you will come because we all need to know how to do this and we all can certainly improve our evangelism skills. Paul was God's fire starter. Everywhere he went, God used him to light the match, light the flame of salvation by faith in Jesus to those who hadn't heard. And as we, all of us, get near to the end of our lives, we should be concerned now about our spiritual legacy. 
And our spiritual legacy is those who are going to be in heaven because we shared the gospel with them, because we were willing to let God use us to start a fire. So we need to ask ourselves, who will be in heaven because of us? And so we have to ask God, how can God use me to start a fire in the time that I have left? Amen? Amen. Lord God. I pray that you will give us boldness and courage, uh, just some measure of the boldness and courage and fearlessness that Paul had, because this world is desperately in need of the gospel, Lord, and you have given it to us so that, like Paul, we might share it with others. Lord, give us the courage. Lord, give us the strength. And we pray in advance that you would uh, open the eyes, uh, prepare the hearts of people who we will speak to about your son. And Lord, may it be fertile ground. Lord, we ask for your strength, and we thank you for your Son, and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.